0: That you would add, add your blessing to it. We pray that you would bless the gift and the giver and that you would use this money to spread your faith throughout this valley and throughout the world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. that, by the way, I know it's silly, but they're great, Uh, it is Palm Sunday, I hope everyone got palms, I don't know, can you get like paper cuts from these things, they seem vaguely dangerous, okay, and I tried to hand them to all the kids because I want the kids poking other people with them, okay, alright, so, uh, uh, yeah, here they are. Ambivalent relationship to Palm Sunday. Uh, you know, it's on the church calendar. It's part of the, uh, uh, the historical sequence of our faith, but it's it's a kind of a shameful day because you know the people of God are shouting Hosanna to Jesus, and then you know before the week's out they've turned on. And so uh, I always feel a little odd because you know if I'm going to be waving my palm shouting to Jesus, you know, comes come. come Friday, will I have turned on him? Right. So it's 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 uh, it's a humbling thing. What I want to reflect on uh, in today's sermon is the relationship between human history and what we might call divine history. Our faith is a historical faith. Some people get. Mixed up about Christianity, and they they compare Christianity to uh, to some kind of a philosophy. So philosophies are timeless; uh, they're based on abstract truths that we arrive at. But Christianity is based on certain things that happen at certain times. And when history is unfolding, you can ask yourself the question: Well, who did that? Who is the actor? Who is the person who uh, produced that result? And sometimes we see in an obvious way that it's God who's the actor. Other times we think it's people who's the actor. What I want to suggest today in the few minutes that I have left uh, is that the human activity and the divine activity are always married in every moment. God's hand is at work all of the time in everything. Now there are big things that you notice, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that that was God." You know, when He created the universe, obviously no one else was around to do that, so so that we'll give that one to God. Oh, and you know, maybe the Exodus. Maybe the crossing of the Red Sea, that, that, that was God. Alright. But what about in the small things? What about in the daily details of your life? I want to suggest to you that every detail of your life has God's hand pressing on it and guiding it and directing it to an end. Alright. Now, what I want to do this morning, I guess I have to read my second reading first. And just by way of warning, our affirmation of faith is long, okay, and it's very theological. But, and we've read some parts of it during the, the course of this series of sermons on Providence, but I wanted us to read through the whole chapter in the Westminster Confession of Faith on Providence. It is very wonky, it is very theological. Uh, it's very complicated, but I wanted you to have it before you and in front of you to at least begin to hear some of the ways that uh, the church has tried to understand what uh, Scripture teaches uh, on these things. So we'll be doing that a little bit later, but w- what I hope to accomplish this morning is... Just a review of the, um, of the two scripture readings that we have before us. So let me read, uh, for you our second reading, which comes, uh, from Romans, uh, chapter eight. I'm going to read verse 12 through 17 and the verse 26 through 30. Hear the word of God. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, That we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. To the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your help as we look into uh, your word this day. Um. We just ask that all glory and honor would uh, return to you for you alone, for you alone are worthy. Amen. All right. The uh, American Declaration of Independence uh, begins with the words, when in the course of human events. When in the course of human events, and then it talks about the the need for sometimes people need to separate from each other and and become sovereign states unto themselves. When in the course of human events, it's it's a curious way to put the matter, isn't it? As though there are different kinds of events. There are human events. Well, then maybe we could assume that there are unhuman events, like maybe natural events. And is it possible that there are also divine events when in the course of human events, I don't know if we just if that is just what we mean as history, all right. So I do I want to distinguish these human events from natural events from divine events. I do think that we think about these different categories of things when we are offering explanations for how things have come to be the way that they are. Okay, so at the time of the American Revolution, at the time of the Declaration of Independence, the uh, people who were responsible for those events taking place were very conscious that this was a historic moment. That something big was happening here. Those words, when in the course of human events, were written by Thomas Jefferson now, Thomas Jefferson's an interesting character because he's not hes not a Christian, you understand. I mean, he believed in God, uh, but he didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. Okay, He believed in God, but he was what we call a deist. A deist is someone who believes that God created the world, but that God is not actually involved in the operation of the world. God builds the clock, winds it up, and then walks away and takes a nap. Okay, that's the Deist view. That was Thomas Jefferson's view uh, of the universe, and and it's, it's so it's interesting when when uh, Thomas Jefferson is talking about this uh, really momentous historical event, the founding of the American Republic. Which I mean, is, has there been a bigger event in the last three hundred years? This is an enormous world. A globally important event. And he describes it when in the course of human events. As though God's hand is not on it. As though God in his providence didn't desire that a new republic be formed on this continent. Okay, Thomas Jefferson. I'm I'm not endorsing it. I'm simply reporting it. All right. There are others who are going to think that the formation of the American Republic is actually part of God's providence, God's design. God intended this republic to emerge for whatever reasons that God has. I mean, ultimately, everything in God's providence is for God's glory. But Thomas Jefferson, the deist, Thomas Jefferson, the man who believes in God but who is not yet a Christian or who didn't become a Christian he restricts his observations to human events and then when we talk about human events we're talking about human actors All right so this person does this the king does that uh, these men confer and they write up a document normally oftentimes we think of history uh, as as uh, the the events that have transpired as a result of human activity the actor is the cause of the action. And so, when you talk about human events, you're talking about events that have been caused by people. Now, we can certainly imagine natural events. I have a friend of mine who is uh, studying, let me see if I can remember this, He's studying the Treaty of Paris and the signing of the Treaty of Paris, which was the treaty that brought the, um, the American Revolution to an end. And apparently there was a terrible, uh, hard winter that year. And so the news of the signing of the Treaty of Paris took a long time to travel in the American colonies because, I don't know, things were frozen over, stuff like that. All right, So that would be a natural event. We can recognize that natural events can also influence human events. One one sense human events are determined by the actors, by the people who do things. Vladimir Putin sending his barbarian hordes into the Ukraine. That's a human event. But there are also natural events. There's the weather uh, in the country that's affecting the prosecution of that war. But what about the divine events? Where is God's hand In all of this, is God an actor in our history? Or does God just sort of give us some instructions and leave us to ourselves and, you know, we'll see how it works out? Providence is the doctrine that God is an actor in history. And He's not just an actor. In the big things, he's actually an actor in everything. That's the, the doctrine of providence. Now, one of the reasons that people have trouble with the doctrine of providence, with the idea that God is mixed up in every single event that's happening, is... It seems that if God is the actor in all of these circumstances, that maybe we as humans are less actors. That Where is our freedom? Are we actually able to do stuff? Or is God just using us like puppets? You know, God's up there in heaven... Conspiring to make things happen a certain way. The doctrine of providence can sometimes seem like God is a puppet master in human events. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. One of the problems with the idea of, of being a puppet, or if God is the puppet master, is that there can be no moral responsibility where there's no human freedom. I don't blame you or praise you for things that were not in your control, you are carrying a priceless Ming vase across my living room, given to me by my Chinese ancestors. I'm making this up, okay. And 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 you smash it on the floor. All right? If you did that willfully, you would be a very evil person. If you're walking across the floor with my Ming vase and you trip on the carpet and it smashes on the floor, we would say that you're not responsible. Okay, The one is a willful, voluntary choice that you're making. It's either good or bad. You're morally responsible. The other one was an accident. Okay, so And then the falling of the Ming vase in that case has to do with a natural event. You know, gravity just sort of took over when you tripped. So one of the concerns about this idea of God as a puppet master is that where is human freedom? I mean, for those of you who love being free, that, that can be a little troublesome. But also, it, it, if God is the one who's pulling the strings behind the scenes, then where is the moral responsibility? All right? Keep that one in the back of your mind. Alright, so what I want to do now, and I want you, you got to do something too. you got to pull out your bulletins. Or if you're Baptist, pull out your Bible. Because I want us to take a close look at what the scriptures say on this. So let's take a look at that Ezekiel 36 passage. And let's listen to some of the things it says about the actors. Are you there? You got that little thing in that bulletin open there? Ezekiel 36. Okay, so Ezekiel's a prophet who is prophesying during the time of the Babylonian exile. Uh, Babylon, you know, a neighboring superpower has invaded Little Israel and taken away a bunch of people to Babylon and their country's been destroyed. And so this prophecy is during, during this time. Okay. Here's what we hear. Therefore to the house of Israel say, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act for the sake of my holy name. Okay, you read that little verse there. Now, a couple things I want you to notice here. God is announcing that he is an actor. He's going to do something. Now, maybe you think this is one of those exceptional cases where God shows up on the scene, but it's, this is certainly going to be a case where God is acting. I want you to notice that, that sometimes God acts, minimally, we can say that from the Bible, but the second thing I want you to notice is why is he acting? He's not acting for the sake of the house of Israel. Now, you say, well, doesn't he love Israel? Isn't isn't Israel his chosen people? Well, here God says, I'm not doing this for you. What's he doing it for? For the sake of his holy name. Okay. He's doing it for his own glory. And look down at verse 32 in that same passage. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord your God. Let that be known to you. Don't think that you're so special that I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it for me. Now in this case, he's saying this because you know the whole exile happened because they had turned to false gods. They're in exile because they're being punished. Okay, and then when God pulls them out of exile, it's not because they've been all of a sudden been good. God pulls them out of exile because he wants to bring glory to his name. Alright, so God is an actor, and what does God act for? God acts for his own glory. The purpose of the whole universe, the purpose of the nation of Israel, is for God's glory. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. Okay. The name of Yahweh has been insulted in the world because of the bad behavior of God's people. And God's going to vindicate his own name further down. And the nations will know that I am God declares the Lord God. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. God has announced that he's going to be an actor. He's going to act for his own glory. But notice here how he does it. He does it through Israel. Okay? He does it through Israel. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's going how he's going to do this. Let's go down to verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of a stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Well, you know that's all kind of symbolic language of having a spirit that's responsive to God. And, and, and removing your fleshly heart and, and, and your stony heart. Well, who does it? Who gave you a soft spirit that responds to the word of God? It's God himself who does it. I'm gonna put that, I'm gonna put that heart. Your stony heart can't respond to God. Ah, but so you need a new heart so that you can respond to God? Okay, let me give you a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new spirit. I will do it. I will give you. I will cleanse you. I will put within you. I will remove. I will put. Who's the I? The I is God. God is the actor and he's acting on his people. He's changing their hearts. As Christians, we would call this regeneration, which then leads to being born again. If you're born again, if you've made a decision to repent of your sins and turn to Christ, it's because Christ has removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. He's given you the ability to respond to the gospel. When you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you did what every dead person does. Nothing. Dead people do not raise themselves. Dead people do not act toward God. But God will revive them. God will give them a new heart. God will wake them up. And so God gives a new heart to Israel. Verse twenty-seven, and I will put my spirit within you, and and cause you to walk in my statutes. Whoa, is God being a puppet master here by causing his people to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey my rules? He gives them a new heart. And by giving them a new heart, they are caused to walk in God's statutes and to obey his laws. Okay, you can see why that would feel like God's being a puppet master. Alright? Now I want to be careful about that, because we are going to affirm that human freedom is still operating uh, in there. Let me read them down in verse 29. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, but here's the part that I want to talk about. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer uh, the disgrace of famine among your nations. So here we see God not intervening in the spiritual life of individuals by giving them a new heart so that they can begin to uh, act according to God's law. But here God's actually intervening uh, uh In nature, God influences human hearts. God also influences nature. Okay, there'd been a famine. There's not going to be a famine. He's going to send the rain. All right? Jump down to verse 33. Because here, I think here's where we see the interaction or the relationship between God's activity and human activity. Think about this as we're reading it. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt, and the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And then jump down to verse 36. I have rebuilt the ruined places, and planted that which is desolate. Did God get out his trowel and lay mortar to reset the stones in Jerusalem? I have rebuilt the ruined places, it says. Well, we know that the trial was in the hands of people. And so we see the activity of God. God identifies himself as the rebuilder, but we know that's going to be through a human agency. God's going to be acting, but he's going to be acting through people. I have rebuilt the places. I have replanted. Was God down there in the dirt? Well, no. Jews were down there in the dirt. But God identifies Himself as the actor. God claims the bragging rights for the restoration of Israel. Now, you could be a non believer. You could believe that well there isn't there isn't a God. There's no there's no Yahweh. Oh the Jews, they just managed to accomplish this on their own because they're such hard working and clever people. Or because, you know, the uh, political and economic situation in the Middle East turned to such a way that the people were able to go home. On the biblical view, it's God who's acting. Obviously, God is acting through people. Uh, again, I take you back to verse 23. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Alright? Sometimes God acts in a way uh, well, I, I think actually normally God acts in a way that someone standing outside of it would say that's too remarkable, that's too exceptional for me to credit the human agency. The salvation of the children of Israel out of Egypt was so crazy that we're going to point to God as the one who did it. Secular people, non-believers, well, they're going to talk about tides and, you know, getting stuck in the mud with the chariots. There are, people have, like, naturalistic explanations for what the Bible describes as the actions of God. God, in Scripture, throughout Scripture, describes Himself as the actor behind history. Producing the results that bring glory to his name. He does it through us. Alright? He's working through us. We're his people. We're his church. Uh, and and he does it through us by the renovation of our spirit. Oh, the time has run out. Alright. We can say more about that another time. Um, let me pray. Father God, we just ask that you would bring honor and glory to yourself and your world. We thank you that you are our God and we are your people. Amen. All right. We're going to read it. It's, it, it's crazy, but, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, those of you who are willing, affirm what it is that we believe as Reformed Christians using the words of the Westminster Confession. It's very wonky. Some of this stuff you won't agree with, but let's, let's, uh, let's read through this. God who created everything, also upholds everything, he directs, regulates, and governs every creature, action, and thing, from the greatest to the least, by his completely wise and holy providence. He does so in accordance with his infallible foreknowledge and the voluntary, unchangeable purpose of his own will, all to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. God is the first cause, and in relationship to him, everything happens unchangeably and infallibly. However, by the same providence, he orders things to happen from secondary causes. As a result of these secondary causes, some things must inevitably happen, others may or may not happen, depending on the voluntary intentions of the agents involved, And some things do not have to happen, but may, depending on other conditions. God uses ordinary means to work out his providence day by day. But as he pleases, he may work without, beyond, or contrary to these means. God's providence reveals his almighty power, unknowable wisdom, and infinite goodness. His providence extends even to the fall and to all other sins of angels and men. These sins are not simply allowed by God, but are bound, ordered, and governed by Him in the fullness of His wisdom and power so that they fulfill His own holy purposes. However, the sinfulness still belongs to the creature and does not proceed from God, whose holy righteousness does not and cannot cause or approve sin. In the fullness of His wisdom... Righteousness and grace, God often allows His own children to be tempted in various ways and for a time to pursue the corruption of their own hearts. God does this to chastise them for their previous sins and to reveal to them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness in their hearts, so that they may be humbled. In addition to various other just and holy results, Believers are thereby raised to a closer and more constant dependence on God for their support and are also made more alert in detecting and resisting opportunities to sin. It is different for the wicked and the ungodly. As punishment for their previous sins, God, the righteous judge, spiritually blinds and hardens them in their own sinfulness – From them, God not only withdraws his grace by which they might have been spiritually enlightened, but sometimes he also withdraws whatever gift of spiritual understanding they already had and deliberately exposes them to the opportunities for sinning which their corrupt nature naturally seeks. He thereby gives them over to their own desires, to the temptations of the world and to the power of Satan. And so it happens that they harden themselves even under those circumstances which God uses to soften others. Just as the providence of God in general extends to every creature, so in a very special way it takes care of his church and orders all things for its good.